interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're watching this. I'm going to do something just to show you how good our producer is. So this is our 11th show. Don, I want you to bring yourself in. Can you do that? Yes, he I did can. I, I, right. wasn't ex I wasn't expecting it. You caught me <laughs> off guard there. Well, I wanted to show people Super Don, and this is the man who is making this all happen. He makes me look good because I could not do this without him. He, I met him through the Robert Scott Bell Show. He's the producer for that program, and he graciously uh, volunteered to be the producer for our show, and, and he's done a, a super job. This is our 11th show today, and wow. I want to start by giving a little bit of a perspective. So I, I tell about Grace's humor, her literal humor, uh, just about every show, and I want to give you the background. How did that even start? And it was my son, Travis. He's the one who got me going into this. You know, I, I've had a, a good sense of humor ever since I was a kid, but Travis started it early on. So one of the times I was reading the newspaper, yes, there were newspapers in my day, uh, black and white. And he came to me, he wanted, <laughs> I said, Travis, I'll be done in a minute. And he said, how come when people say a minute, they don't mean it? You know, so that gets you just noodling on this whole this whole thing of, literal humor. Well, then he was about six or seven. We're getting ready for church one morning and he was a dilly dallier. And my wife said, Travis, I am not going to tell you again, no more dilly dallying. And Travis said, how come you just told me again, mom? And of course, you know, you're supposed to support your wife, but I mean, I, I was on the ground pounding, pounding my fist. I was laughing so hard. And ultimately, um, this became the basis for my weird sense of humor. So uh, <coughs> Grace continued the path paved by Travis. One of the memories I want to share today is there's a, a regional um, grocery store chain called Piggly Wiggly. And so the I, I have never uh, sung in public other than acting like I'm singing in a choir. So, But I am going to try the jingle. I mean, this whole thing is getting me out of my comfort zone. So anyway, the Piggly Wiggly jingle is... Piggly Wiggly, shop the pig. So anyway, Grace, you know, so now she's got this. She's got the literal sense of humor. So she hears this on the radio with me and says, Dad, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. How do, You can't shop a pig. First, you got to shoot the pig. Then you eat the pig. But you don't shop a pig. Uh, anyway, um, that's where this all came from. That's my little buddy Grace uh, in, in her prime. So anyway, today's topic is about it's it's the single most serious topic we've had so far it's the only topic so far that will literally save your life it's about hostage hospital hostage negotiations yes and i did say the word hostage because that is literally what's happened uh this is um this topic is so big we're going to do it in two parts so part one today part two in february and don i want you to bring up the two pictures of grace in the hospital <clears throat> so this is 
on October 11th. Grace died on October 13th. You can see she's still full of color. She was doing great. This thing she's got on is a BiPAP mask. And then if you go to the other one, Don, this is Grace riding in the ambulance on October 6th. Uh, you can see she was doing great. Uh, you know, so we were duped. My wife and I were duped by the propaganda. Even though Grace was never vaccinated, we had her on the frontline doctors uh, protocol completely. We were we had bought into the the white coat, and so the reality of what we are going to learn today um, through these two ladies. And Don, can you bring them in right now? So this is uh, Laura Bartlett, you can see up on the upper right, and then Greta Crawford right below me. Uh, these two ladies have um, become the two most instrumental in the, the literal boots on the ground fight. And I am honored to have gotten to know them. Uh, it is, it's quite a miracle just to get to know them. Uh, they were instrumental in the hospital rescue that we did on November 5th. I had never done one before. I had called Greta that morning. Uh, she coached me through it and she said, call Laura. Laura got me the forms that I needed to, to help rescue Robert out of the hospital. Um, it was unbelievable. So you see the pictures of Grace. If I would have known these two ladies when Grace went in the hospital, would Grace be alive today? And the, the unfortunate answer is no. And the reason is, is I did not know at that time that there was an agenda. I wasn't awake to anything. So as this program is called Deprogram with Grace's Dad, the single most important thing you can do is become awake. Um, Greta has survived the hospital's attempt to murder her with remdesivir, and she became an advocate starting protocolkills.com. Laura has also become an advocate founding the hospital hostage hotline. Her information is under the urgent tab on Grace's website. Uh, these two are real, and I know it because I've gotten to know them. To know them. They don't take any money for doing this. Uh, they are truly in this fight because they care. Um, one of the most important pieces of what you're going to learn today is the details of what they share and what your rights are and your responsibility relative to those rights. I don't want you to get the impression because of what I've shared with Robert's story. Some of you have heard that, that the form is, is the thing that saved his life. It isn't. The form is a tool and that's all. So anyway, one more uh, piece of business to get out of the way before these two uh, ladies ramble. We're going to do this a little bit different. They're going to completely run the show. I'm going to only interrupt them uh, if there's a clarification question uh, because they've got a lot to share. But we have to do this because it's important. Many of you have noticed uh, that I do not have an accent. And there's one person on this show that today that has an accent and she has quite an identifying characteristic. So when I get on the phone with her, I always ask her, uh, prove it's you. And so Greta, how do we prove it's you every time? What do you got to tell me? I got to say, hey, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm so fond of that because when I was a kid, uh, we had a, a couple that were friends of our family when I was real little. They moved to Florida. They came back to visit about five years later. And she she came into the house and said, how are you all doing? I thought, what is she talking about? Changing your oil? What is going on? So anyway, when Greta started doing that, it just uh, it brought back some some very fond memories. 
<laughs> all right. So I don't want anybody to be in the dark after after this situation. Uh, I had the privilege of meeting G. Edward Griffin. He, because of his own attentiveness and waking up at the opportune time three nights in a row when the nurses tried to give him remdesivir three different times, uh, he's alive. If he would not have woken up, he would be dead. One of the nights that he woke up, he found they placed a do not resuscitate bracelet on him. So this is this is fundamental fundamental to believing what these ladies are talking about. You have to understand that there is an, an agenda. The hospitals have become arms of the government. So that being said, uh, Laura, I wouldn't mind if you just introduced what we talked about yesterday about don't leave your drink on the bar, that whole thing. And then Greta, you can take over. Oh, yeah. Um, in the last couple of years, um, hospitals aren't safe. I'll just say it. They're not safe places to be. It's counterintuitive. You'd think that if you have an emergency, you go to aptly named emergency room. But these days with uh, everything that's going on that we're going to talk about later, I, I put hospitals up there along with my long laundry list of things that you would not advise somebody to do, like walk down an alley late at night alone in a dark alley. You wouldn't uh, leave a, a drink at a bar uh, unattended these days in case you're roofied. You can't trust to leave your loved one in a hospital unattended either. That, that's, uh, that's spot on. All right, the floor is yours. Go ahead, Greta. Uh, well, First off, Scott, I want to say that um, I, I was programmed too. Um, when my oxygen dropped to 60, around 66%, the only place I knew to go was the hospital. And I had this um, understanding that it was the same hospital that I'd been to before. And it's not. The dynamics have completely changed. Um, it's, it's not the same hospitals that we once knew. And people need to understand that. So... Um, yeah, we, we were we were all duped, um, unfortunately. Um, once once you uh, enter the hospital, it's it's the there's so much incentive behind the COVID, um, you know, protocols and 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 COVID everything. Um, so once you enter the hospital, you you're going to be tested over and over again, and it doesn't matter if you went in there for COVID or not. Um, they want that positive test, and then when it comes back, the protocol's on. And a lot of people have this understanding that, well, I'll just go in there and I'll say, I don't want remdesivir and I'll be fine. It's <laughs> that's not it, because many people have gone in there and said that I myself said, I don't believe in EUAs. I'm not vaccinated because I don't believe in experimental drugs. And at that very time, they put two experimental drugs into my vein that nearly killed me over the course of five days. Um, so don't think that verbally stating your wishes is, is, you know, it. You just state it once and you're done. No, that's that's not it at all. If there's one thing that we want to get across to people, and, and we're going to repeat this throughout this, is that anytime someone comes up to you to put medication or treatment or, or give you a treatment, the, the first thing you should say is, wait, what are the risks, the benefits, and the reasonable alternatives? And then after they said that, then you say, okay, what is your success rate with this treatment, doctor? What is your success rate with this drug, doctor? You know, you want to be informed. You can't give informed consent unless you have the information. That's the whole title, informed consent. And no patient is getting that. And that's that's what we have actually witnessed is 
it's all all said, well, it's the protocol. We have we have no other choice. It's the protocol. You don't lose your rights as a patient when you go into a hospital, no matter if you have COVID, no matter if you've had a, a nuclear blast. I don't care. You still have rights. God gave you the right to life and is your uh, choice to defend that. But you have to have the knowledge. My people perish for lack of knowledge. Yes. So everyone needs to gather this knowledge, gather the tools, the documents, and, and have your families uh, aware of the same stuff. Because if you're not able to make a decision, they need to help you make the decision you want. Go ahead, Laura. Yeah. Um, I just want to emphasize right at the front of this broadcast that it's not just COVID that you have to be worried about. Um, I have had a couple of rescues. Uh, lately, it's, it's a lot of people who go into the hospital. It's not COVID that they're there for. It's for pancreatitis. It's for uh, urinary tract infection. It's for a myriad of reasons that are not COVID related. But once, they, once you cross that threshold of a hospital, please hear me. Once you're there in the emergency room, they will COVID test you. They will get a COVID test from you and it miraculously always tests positive. That's when the clock starts, really. That's when you need to start getting yourself out of the hospital because their COVID protocol clock starts and it's to push you towards a ventilator. It's to push you towards here. It's to push you towards a lot of things we're going to talk about uh, that are very, very harmful. Um, so just because you didn't have COVID doesn't matter. You can walk in there with a paper cut. Okay. And they're going to COVID test you. And that COVID test is on the back end, financially incentivized, and they are hell bent on getting right. you the things that they want you to get without any kind of informed consent. Right. That's uh, of course, right on Laura, the public health emergency was just re up for 90 days on January 11th. So that keeps this whole foolishness going for another 90 days. And before that on November 23rd, the health and human services secretary uh, codified into law euthanasia. Uh, and so the death panels are back. And so that becomes the permanent, that will become a permanent source of hospital revenue as we keep going. So what they're talking about today is not short term. This is, as Laura just said, anytime you cross the threshold into the hospital, this applies. And they have the responsibility to give you informed consent. They're not doing it. So that's why they're here to show you one of the pieces of the puzzle is you have to understand your right to get informed consent and be proactive. And have a sense of urgency to start getting out. Have a real sense of urgency as if you are being held hostage. And uh, there is a very real eminent threat on your life. Have that sense of urgency to get out. And we got good news. I'm here for good news. We have real tools, techniques, strategies to get yourself out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I just want to say, um, I'm going to say this one statement, then I'm going to let Laura give some examples. But we, we need hospitals because there are accidents, there are emergencies. And in life, there is good and evil and everything everything. The, the difference is our discernment. We need discernment. We can't put complete faith into something that, you know, a, a white coat or someone we've never met. We have to have discernment. And so if you, a lot of these people that are affected have, um, you know, underlying conditions, some, some is a minor is asthma, but or, or hiccups in one case, and mm -hmm. they, people, people end up dying. 
you know, uh, oh, uh, and over that, you know, so because they tested positive for COVID. So, mm -hmm. but there's sometimes where you're having a heart attack or, you know, you have a pulmonary embolism, you do need help. And in that case, you're going to have to assess your situation. You're going to have to use discernment to see, is this where I'm going to get the help for what I really need? Or are they trying to go after those, those COVID incentives? And then you have to say, okay, when I need to get out of here, because this is, this is not the place that's going to help me. Maybe I need to go somewhere else. And, and they can. And you've experienced that too, Scott, where you've had two totally different experiences at two different hospitals. Correct. So, you know, um, we're, we're, you know, we're not saying don't ever go to a hospital. Right. Um, you, for, you have for instance, to. real quick, yeah, on that point, I had a, a good friend who went into a hospital in Dallas. She she did have something that was life threatening. The the first hospital, hospital number one, refused to treat it. They held her hostage in the ER, trying to to persuade her to start the COVID protocol. She said no. I'm not doing that. I'm not leaving my advocate. They took the phone out of her hand, disconnected the call. I was on that call, took her phone away, and she felt her life was being threatened after several hours in the ER. So after her advocate was hauled off by security, because they didn't like that she was getting outside information from my team, they she was there by herself, and she made the decision, the life-saving decision, to leave. She left in her hospital gown, barefoot, walked out, even though people were chasing her, telling her she was going to die. She left that hospital. She went to a new hospital with our help and she got treated for a large life-threatening pulmonary embolism. So there's a reason to be uh, at a hospital. I want to be clear, but get treated for the thing that they can help you with. If you feel like your life is being threatened because of the COVID protocol, you need to start working your way out. Mm -hmm. That's right. And much like the um, the I, I believe she was a uh, uh, 93 years old. She was um, felt inside that this is this is not this is not a good place. When when you have that feeling that inside that some call intuition, I call God talking to you. Listen to it. And it, you, you can tell her story too, Laura. Yes. 93 year old. She was starting. She was getting better. She didn't um, she didn't go into the hospital for COVID. She got treated appropriately for what you know, with a fight. She got treated. Uh, with our help for the thing that she had uh, that drove her to the hospital in the first place. She got treated. She's getting better. She was going to be uh, discharged the next morning. The night before the discharge, she said, I don't think I'm safe here because they kept chasing her around five, no less than five times trying to get the, the COVID vaccine. She refused it. She didn't feel like she would be safe if she fell asleep in the middle of the night and would um, get a COVID shot against her will. So she tried to, to do the appropriate thing to get discharged. They, the, she pushed the, the call button for the nurses to come to her so she can sign herself out. Nobody came for 20 minutes of pushing that button. She then took the, the heart monitors off so that the, all the alarms would go off, trying to get some help. It's squawking, it's making a commotion. Nobody comes to her aid. She's at that point, sure, she's not safe where she's at. So she left. She wheeled out, wheeled herself out of the hospital and went home. The hospital called the police on her. She was 93 years old. She's alive today because of that decision, I believe. She, and uh, they were trying to, we believe, make the accusation that she, there was some elder abuse there for her the daughter that was advocating for her. So with 
uh, our recommendation, we said, get, get an appointment, get clear from your, your primary care physician and a cardiologist that you're, you're actually, um, you've been treated well, you're, you're clear of any life-threatening uh, situation. She got the all okay, the clear, and she's at home alive and so grateful she got out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Is, is, is there, I think, you, is there another one you'd like to, uh, an example you'd like to oh, give? Another one is, is, okay, this is on a, the, uh, let's talk about somebody with just a urinary tract infection, goes into the hospital in New Jersey. This is way back in 2020. I helped this gentleman in November. Um, he thought he was just going to get treated for a urinary tract infection. Like I said at the beginning, they're going to COVID test you. He had no symptoms. They got him on the protocol. He developed um, hospital-acquired pneumonia. He's getting worse by the day. Um, he had the wherewithal to, to refuse the, the other, you know, the remdesivir and other things, but he's, he's still got a pretty life-threatening situation because he's, he's a senior. He's in his upper 70s um, in age. And so anyway, he had the wherewithal through some talking to our team to get out. His, his son made the brave decision to help get him out. Cause at this point he was, um, he was not in his, uh, he couldn't, he couldn't really defend himself. He needed his son's help to get him out. He left with his hospital gown. I got the pictures to prove it with a catheter still attached. They refused to remove the catheter from, you know, his urinary catheter. He went home with, with that, got started on a treatment that would help him and his lungs recover. And he's alive today because he got out. Yeah. And, and every situation is, is different. So we can't sit here and say um, that we have the exact list of things you should do. And if you do this, you know, it's, it's going to all be perfect. But it, it doesn't work that way. It depends on the person, the situation they're in, the hospital, the doctors, how you advocate for yourself how you stand up for yourself, how your, your advocate or, um, you know, medical power of attorney stands up for you. Um, you cannot uh, be bashful. These are your rights and you have to be assertive. And so with that, we want to, we want to give some um, examples of what are, what you can do. And we want to go through a slideshow real quick here, if you don't mind bringing that up. Um, first, we want to, we want to tell people if you're healthy right now, you need to learn your rights. Um, for example, I did not know I could fire my doctor. My doctor came in telling me um, that, uh, you know, everybody's dying because they're not vaccinated. And I said, well, I've looked at the VAERS report, and this is the most dangerous vaccine over 10 years, all the vaccines combined. And she told me she'd never heard of the VAERS report before. Well, that right there, I should have said you're fired. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that was my right to fire her. So you need to, to, to know rights like that. You need to have these forms, medical power of attorney, uh, doctor's directives, things like that as a tool to back up your rights. Um, and you need to be aware of the tactics and things that they use. Um, there's two different types of forms that we'll look at later. Uh, one of them is a patient form. That's when you're able to make the decisions yourself. And the other is a medical power of attorney. In case something happens to you where you are not able to make those decisions on your own, you want a trusted um, advocate, medical power of attorney to make those decisions that you would if you were healthy. Um, so next slide, slide, please. Okay. <clears throat> if you think you have COVID and, you know, it, it's just a lot of people in these situations, like me, I needed oxygen. I had already gone to my doctor. They, they're a, 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 a doctor that just gave me some useless medications. But when I ended up going to the um, ERs because I needed oxygen. 
So if you really feel like you have COVID and it's nothing major, you know, that you're going to die instantly from, go to an urgent care, a freestanding, a private urgent care. Um, take your family member with you because you never know where it will lead to next. Know your rights and have your documentation with you. Um, it could be something simple where you could get set up with at-home oxygen from a place like SynergyHealthDPC.com. Uh, they set that up at your house. Um, and also give you medications that, to help you uh, treat it with budesonide for inflammation and things like that. So it may be something to where you don't need to go to a hospital ER. It may be something minor where you can get it fixed at a, at a urgent care. And, um, and if not, they will um, refer you to a hospital if it's something major. Um, next slide, please. Um, Greta, sure. with Synergy Health, they will prescribe oxygen? Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. And they do, you bring it do you recommend a that people would, as part of advanced preparation, get a home oxygen generator? Well, what do you think, Laura? You know, um, I've recommended that people um, people get the little boost cans uh, that you can get at uh, sporting goods stores. Um, it's called B-O-O-S-T. Look on Amazon for that. That's not a fix. That is not something that I recommend people use um, continuously. Right. But if it were between going to a hospital and having just enough oxygen to bump up my oxygen to get uh, get through a rough spot, I would just have it kind of like in a, you'd have a, a fire extinguisher at home, but you would probably call the, you know, the, the fire department to put out a, a raging fire. It, it's something, it's just a right. stopgap measure um, in a really uh, tough spot. It's just temporary right. oxygen uh, boost and it's called B-O-O-S-T. I, I recommend everybody have that on hand. It might buy you some time. Yeah. And you, you can get those, I think, at Academy, too. Like if you right. go hiking it's, or it's marketed for uh, sports um, and adventure uh, seekers, you know, for like mountain climbing for altitude sickness. But it's it doesn't require a prescription. It's just a stopgap measure. It's not something I'm recommending to replace Synergy. Right. Right. And it may get you to that urgent care that, that, mm -hmm. can, that does have oxygen there that can That's get right. it to you until you can get it all set up in your home. That's right. Um, so, I ended um, up buying a home oxygen generator when I got out of the hospital having COVID. And we ended up using that with the Robert Pazer rescue because when we left the hospital, of course, it was AMA and the, the doctor wouldn't prescribe anything. So right. we were we were literally on our own. And at mm -hmm. that point, you know, he needed oxygen. We couldn't wait for Synergy. He ended up right. connecting with Synergy. But, you know, that's not instantaneous. Right. So I mean, when I bought mine, it was about two hundred fifty dollars. They're probably higher now, but it just is. It, it's certainly an option. Good idea. Right. And and that's another thing. When you call the hotline, if you're in the hospital, um, that uh, they start. You know, Laura and and her team starts going through. Okay, are we planning to get out of here? And if we're planning to get out of here, you need to go ahead and connect now with Synergy, even mm -hmm. if it's you know four days, five days out. We don't know how long it's going to be, but connect right now. In line. Get, get the ball uh, going. Um, right, so, right, right. So that's what we we uh, try to do. But um, we'll, we'll go over the hospital tactics here if you can pull up those uh, slides again. Um, this are, these are the things that people don't understand are actually going on in the hospital. Um, we went over the PCR testing. It's repeated. You don't have to have any symptoms. And um, they, they want that positive test back because um, the protocol is incentivized in every step along the way. There's uh, government-funded incentives 
to, to have a, a COVID patient in a hospital. Um, but once you, that test comes back positive, um, fear and isolation go straight into effect. Um, the uh, patient is, is usually isolated from the family because, hey, you've been with the family, so everybody's been exposed to COVID, whereas, you know, five minutes before the test, you were sitting next to them and everything was fine. Um, then the fear sets in and they tell the patient things like you're going to die. You should have been vaxxed, you know. Um, it's just it's ridiculous what what they tell these patients and, and give them no hope whatsoever. And that fear, I'm telling you, uh, as from experience, when you fill yourself with that fear, I think it physically transforms your body into a way where you're not as able to fight off infection as if you would just, you know, release it and give it to God. Um, well, that's the next just you know when in when I was in the hospital with Grace, they they used that uh, to try to get us to get Grace on a ventilator. The doctor literally said to me, says at this point they were trying to tell me that sh she would have a twenty percent chance of walking out alive if she's put on a ventilator. That was what they told me. And then the the follow up doctor said, "Isn't a twenty percent chance better than no chance?" Mm. I mean, it's it's sick. I mean, it's they, a total lie, by the way. And by, and by the and by the way, after you ask for the risk benefits and reasonable alternatives, you should follow it with this important question: If you're recommending X Y Z, doctor, what's your success rate right. with X Y Z? Very good. Because because the truth of the fact is, less than ten percent of the people on a ventilator get That's off. Right. That's right. So, and most yeah. of those die within the first year because of damage that the exactly. ventilator did to their lungs while they were in the hospital. So exactly. you know, the 10% the isn't even a true number. Right. There, there's, there's so much damage done just from uh, puncture wounds to, to infections that they didn't have before that they got because of the ventilator. It's, it's ridiculous. And um, some of these people are at 90, 91% oxygen, 95% oxygen, and they're put on a ventilator. It's, it's crazy. But, um, but going back to the list here, uh, the protocol, they'll tell you that's the only treatment that, that we have. That's, that you have to have the protocol. You have to have it. And if you refuse it, they'll kick you out in some instances. Um, most of the time, they like to just wear you down with the fear and, and tell you, you know, if you don't get this protocol, you will die. When you go home, you're going to die. This is why the protocol was made. Um, it's just lie after lie. Then they have the vax question that was pushed on me constantly. Are you vaxxed? You should have been vaxxed. Uh, it, you know, if you'd been vaxxed, you wouldn't have COVID, which we know now that if you are vaxxed, you're more likely to get COVID and be in the hospital. Yeah, and by the way, they're highly incentivized for the, the vaccine. Uh, there's, yeah. there's CMS reimbursement. That's why mm -hmm. they want those dollars. They're yes. going to push, push, push to try to coerce you to get that because they don't want that money walking out the door. As a matter of fact, they don't want any money walking out the door. Exactly. Uh, so when you get to the AMA, I have a lot, or the uh, against medical advice portion of this, Greta, I have a lot to say about that. Okay. <laughs> also, there are stall tactics they use. They're going to send in different people who have no direct um, uh, say in your medical care or treatment. They can't prescribe you anything. They can't uh, tell you your treatment plan. All they do is come in there and talk. They'll send uh, this, um, you know, advocate or hospital advocate or. Which the, works for the doctor. I mean, which right. works for the hospital. They get their paycheck. Yes, all from the hospital. Not right. They're, not, they're working for their their boss. They're mm -hmm. you're you're not really a high priority to them. They just no. want to do their job, go home, and get paid. 
but all these different run interference for the hospital. Right. And all these different people coming in just stalls the time. And, you know, you're going to get sicker with COVID when you're not getting the proper treatment and you're trying to find out what treatment you're getting. They're they're just stalling it to where you get so sick at at that point. One of the, one of the grossest stall tactics was sending in chaplains. Mm -hmm. We had a chaplain sent in to talk with somebody that we were advocating for to try to coerce the, the patient to get the protocol and to mm-hmm. stay against her, uh, her right to leave, going, mm-hmm. checking out against medical advice, leaving, going home. They sent yeah. the chaplain in when, when the patient advocate didn't work, when the case manager didn't work, when the nurse didn't work, when the doctor didn't work, their ace in the hole was a chaplain. How disgusting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, that's to me, it's, it's like sacrilegious at that point. You're, mm-hmm. God gives us all free will. So how, how, how dare yeah. you go in there and try to take it, it from someone? God's, God's not paying the chaplain's paycheck. The hospital no. is. That's right. That is right. The next is um, food and hydration. They're denied um, in case there's a vent because that's their, their goal is, is to go through all these different measures and collect money on each uh, step of the process. So they'll start denying food and hydration in case uh, the, the patient needs a vent. Well, we haven't even talked about a vent. Why would you do that? You know, well, just in case. And um, really, that just break down, breaks down the body's uh, ability to, de- you know, to fight off infection or anything. And they further deteriorate. So next comes the vent. And the big thing now is um, you can be at uh, 95% oxygen, but because the doctor says your lungs need a break because you've really been working hard to breathe. So you you need a break and we'll just put you on the vent for a day or two, knowing there's only a 10% chance that this patient will come off of that. Um, Laura and I discussed if that was the case, then at the end of the Boston Marathon, there should be <laughs> ventilators lined up. Uh-huh. because they've really worked their lungs running a marathon. So we, they all need to be ventilated and put on life support. That's how idiotic that sounds. Yeah. If I've got about 50 years of my heart beating. Maybe it needs a break. This is right. insane. Just get, have a pacemaker do it for you for a little while. No, that's not, we, we need to stop the, the root cause here, not give breaks to our lungs or our heart or anything else. It's just ridiculous. It's and a bogus you, excuse. Yes. Common sense. You don't have to be a, a, a medical expert to figure that out. That's that's some common sense there. Um, next is a, a do not resuscitate. They will push that from day one. And my question is, everyone's going to the hospital for what? To be helped, to have their life saved. So why would you come out with a do not resuscitate on the first or second day? No, I didn't come here to sign my life away to you. I came here so you could save my life. Yeah. So they, they push that constantly on families and near the end, um, most families do sign because they're told if you want to see your family member alive, because um, this is after they've been put on the vent and been given uh, uh, gobs of, uh, of drugs that are just assaulting the body. Um, and, and they're to the point where, where you know, this person is, is not looking like it's going to make, he's going to make it or she's going to make it. They tell the family, uh, you must sign a do not resuscitate if you want to see your loved one alive again. They extort well, them. Also, they'll send in somebody who's for comfort care. Right. I want you to be aware that comfort care is hospice. And palliative it's, care. It's really tricky. They'll try to trick you because do you want your, your loved one to be suffering? No, you don't want suffer care. Of course, you want them to be comfortable, but that's just another way that they kind of sneak in a, uh, a, a way to kill them. 
Right. Okay. They, they, it's an end of life decision to do hospice. So don't be fooled if they said, um, you want your, you want grandma to, or your brother to be comfortable, don't you? Yeah, I do. Well, then we probably should consider comfort care. And this has happened as early as oh. like day one mm-hmm. that somebody was in the hospital in yes. the West coast that I was helping. They sent comfort. They, the doctor was talking about comfort care while she's sitting up eating scrambled eggs, reading mm-hmm. the paper in bed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's how ridiculous and evil this yeah. is. Go ahead, Greta. The, um, the, the, you know, these hospital tactics, I experienced virtually all of these other than the DNR. We experienced a different way. The doctor put right. a unilateral DNR on Grace. The example that you're sharing, I've heard hundreds of times, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's even in the Wisconsin state statute, it calls that out. You can't make a, a DNR a condition of anything, you know, and of course you just would know that by common sense, they can't hold a gun to your head and make you sign a DNR. Right. The over overriding thing that I see here is they, the doctor who ultimately you have the face-to-face contact with is called a hospitalist. And Mm -hmm. as I see that now, the hospitalist is got, he has that position because of his skill set relative to being a schmoozer. So Mm -hmm. when I look at how the hospitalist treated me versus how the COVID expert treated me, the COVID expert talked down to me the whole time. He's completely rude. The hospitalist was this nice guy, like the used car salesman trying to sell you a car you don't need. Good cop, bad cop. Right. I think it's really important um, so that people understand what is happening, what they're telling you. This is real stuff. I experienced it all, literally. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and if we go to the next slide, I think there's a few more tactics on there. Um, yeah. The, and, and like you were talking about the end of life care, um, know this terminology. When they say palliative care, when they say comfort care, when they say hospice care, um, that doesn't mean that, that, that they're just going to provide comfort. That pretty much means they're going to provide a cocktail of different lethal drugs that uh, surely will bring comfort, but it also suppresses the breathing and brings death uh, much faster. And in, in cases that I've heard where they've offered comfort care, it's taken less than 15 minutes to basically euthanize a patient right in front of uh, one particular lady. It was her mother and she didn't know what comfort care was. And she said, you know, sure, you know, give her something to make her comfortable. Well, they brought in four vials of different uh, medications and injected them into her and took her mask off um, so that way she had no oxygen and she died right in front of their eyes. Uh, that's not comfort care. That's murder, um, no matter how you slice it. Um, they're also told you cannot leave, okay? Um, and I think, Laura, you wanted to talk about this. That is a complete lie, too, when someone tells yeah, you you cannot leave. It is a leave. lie. They will tell you you can't leave. Know your rights. You have the right. If you want to leave, it's your body. You can leave. You don't need their permission. You don't need to say, Mother, may I? you decide to leave, leave. Of course, make that assessment whether or not you should stay or, or leave. I mean, if you're in a car wreck and you're in 5,000 different pieces, you might want to stay. But if it's really dangerous for you to be in the hospital, you might want to find an alternate place to go, maybe a different hospital. You can just ask the case manager, I want to transfer. Um, start working on that. If you want to go to a different hospital, if this one's substandard or neglectful or inept, um, sometimes hospitals will vary. Like I said of my friend at the very beginning, she left one hospital in Dallas, which was rather large. You'd think it was fine. They totally were 
inappropriate. And she left that hospital, went into one that appropriately treated a massive pulmonary embolism. And within about 48 hours, she was home. Yeah. She was fine. And that's why we say hostage, because almost every single hospital that we've worked with, they, they say you cannot leave. That's right. And they, they don't they don't tell you, well, you can leave, but it's against medical advice. They say it's against AMA, like it's some sort of a secret group that's going to. Yeah, well, it is a three letter. Yeah, it's you know, a three letter. And we know what those right. are like. They're going to come get you. The AMA is going to get you. No, it's just against medical advice. OK, and you have the right to say, well, what is AMA? Ex explain that to me. And, and what are the consequences? You know, um, and you have the right to ask questions. So uh, be assertive and, and, and demand answers. Um, also, they they like to refuse a retest. So if you've been tested positive for COVID, that's their golden ticket. They're not going to retest you. Um, even though for me, I'd had COVID uh, almost two weeks before I went into the hospital. Uh, they never actually tested me when I was there. Um, once I got my medical records, I saw on the third day where they had tested me and I was COVID negative. But they, they proceeded with the protocol after all. They did it anyways, under the assumption that I had COVID because of what my previous doctor said. So if they get retested, um, then, you know, those, those all those uh, incentives change. Well, you know, if you die, you don't die of COVID then if you've been retested and you're COVID negative, you just die and you don't get that. The hospital doesn't get that money. So they don't they don't want to retest you. Um, right. Also, there's tons of unnecessary medications that they give. Um, if, for example, they, they go in and, and if somebody is uh, tricked into ventilation, they automatically put them on the strongest antibiotic known to mankind to prevent uh, a bacterial Possible infection. infection. Possible. You don't even have the infection. And this, this, the reason it's so strong is because uh, um, it's, it's very powerful and something that powerful is going to affect other parts of your body. And in, in this particular case, it caused the man to have bleeding ulcers. Um, so it, it was it's ridiculous to go from zero to 100 um, in a certain situation. And then they top they they uh, compound it by putting other medications on top of it. And you have so many medications all at once that conflict with uh, maybe the person's um, you know, underlying condition or, or drugs that he's on before. It's a mess. And, and nobody checks to see, you know, well, is this going to interact with this? No, they, they just throw everything. And I call it a medical assault um, on a patient's body. And that's really that's really what it is. Um, if you can go to the, the next slide. OK, so um, with those medications, we want to tell people that just say no to remdesivir. Um, it is it's not in my opinion, it's not a drug. It's it, it killed 53% of patients in an Ebola trial. Um, they had to stop using it. They had to pull it from the trial because it killed so many patients. So we don't know how many patients it would have killed. Um, so and, and in almost every story I hear this, this medication has been given. Um, Baricitinib, if you go to their website, the first thing that comes up is all the warnings. Um, and, you know, if you have an underlying condition, it could be severe. Um, with this drug on top of it. And they like to stack the remdesivir and the baricitinib. I think they they work against each other almost. Um, then there's other powerful medications, Laura. Do you want to speak about that? Yeah. The, now, listen, the last the last three have their place in medicine. Let me be clear. Uh, vancomycin has its, its place, but it is the most... Uh, nurses have told me that it is very toxic, okay? 
ER nurses. And it shouldn't be your first choice. If it is your only alternative, you know, if the doctor uh, presents uh, the option of vancomycin, ask what, what, uh, what the risk and benefits are, of course, because that's informed consent. And then ask, is there another alternative? Could you maybe stack two other antibiotics that are maybe less toxic to the person? Dexamethasone is a total body steroid. Um, of course, the, a lot of people have been requesting budesonide because it's, it's literally what's um, made them recover quickly. Dexamethasone is total body, which will drive your immune system down. Um, it's actually what caused the, the bleeding ulcer in, in, in one of the cases that we were advocating for. Um, the, the options that you have are out there. The doctors just don't let you know. So you need to ask, what are my options? And um, like I said, dexamethasone is commonly prescribed, but you have the option to ask for something that won't drive your uh, immune system into the ground and uh, ask for budesonide if you'd like it, which is targeted to your lungs where the cytokines are coming from. Um, albuterol is another one they like to commonly uh, prescribe and it causes some, uh, some irregular heart issues, it causes your, your, your blood pressure, your uh, heart rate to go up. Uh, that's not something that if you can avoid it, you'd want. Um, so just ask what the alternatives are, the reasonable alternatives, they're out there and you choose, don't let these things be forced on you. You have a choice. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Can we go to the next slide, please? Okay. And that's where we want to talk about knowing your rights. Um, informed consent is the most important thing here. You need to know the risks, the benefits, and reasonable alternatives for every medication and treatment that is given to you. Um, know the amounts there that are given to you because sometimes, you know, a, a, a drug that seems to have minor side effects, if it's given in extreme doses, um, it can have side effects. So you want to know that too. You want to know um, the success rate of these treatments. Um, for me, if I'm given saline, I, I know what saline is and I know what it does. But if you give it to me, I want to know what's the risk, the benefits and reasonable alternatives. And I want to hear it from your mouth as a medical professional telling me your knowledge. Um, and, and, and don't back down from that. Don't say, oh, well, it's just, they say, oh, well, it's, it's for this and it's for that. It's the protocol. No, that's not a, an, a, a reason. It's the protocol. That's not risks, benefits, and reasonable alternatives. Do not accept that. Um, you can refuse medications. And also, we want people to check their online chart because here's the thing. So many people say, I don't want that doctor. And the doctor say, okay, we'll take that off your chart. And they just believe, okay, they, you know, the doctor said he would. No, they, in case you haven't figured it out, they lie. Uh, they lie a lot. And um, they're probably still giving you that medication. And in some cases, they may, may not, you know, be intentionally lying. They may have forgotten to take it off. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah. But one, one particular, one particular instance was we asked, um, are you sure you know what they're giving? It took several days to even get into that, that patient record. It wasn't easy. Uh, they will stall so that you don't get into your own electronic medical record. Um, if that's the case, and you're having some technical issues, demand that their IT department help you. Get somebody to help you with that to get in. It's your right to know what, what's happening to your loved one if you're advocating for them. And like Greta said, don't just take their word for it. Um, verify. Don't trust, then verify. Verify and then have them earn your trust. And don't feel like you're being pushy just because you want to know what's going on. 
you would never leave your car at the you know, a garage to be fixed and then they just hold it for two months and it comes back to you in, in plastic baggies and you, you would never accept that. All the parts are in little Ziploc bags. You would say, what did you do? And now fix it. Don't wait till it gets to that point. No. Get involved in your loved one's um, electronic medical records so that you know what they're given. And we found that one person was given, uh, we asked them, are, are you sure they're not giving you this or that. We found out that they were giving them fentanyl PRN every hour. The doctor excused it as, well, it's PRN. Well, tell me what that means. Well, as needed. Who gets to decide who, when they need it? The doctor. So it's like the circular conversation, which all Based leads on to his facial uh, stalling you and, and uh, being evasive and right. very vague. You've got to get very... Uh, very black and white with things by getting to the electronic medical record and see what they're doing. Check up on them. Right. And for that particular man, they, they were giving him that medication for is what they said, pain. Um, and which he was on a ventilator. Me. When did he right. say I'm in, I'm in pain doctor. And so exactly. we held his feet to the fire. We will do, if you will call the hotline, we will, we will hold these people accountable and hold their feet to the fire. And I said, what, what's the pain scale? Well, well, he was indicating he needed it. Really? Did he, I, I, did he say he needed it? Did he say, I'm in pain? Well, his face was grimacing. I said, you, did you make a note of that? It should be charted somewhere, like in the, the physician's um, progress notes. No, no, there was no indication that he needed it. So go in there and, and check up on these people. And at that point, the, the, the person that was advocating for the, the loved one on the ventilator said, stop it right now. And we had to be very strong. Yeah. She said he had a double knee surgery and never took pain medication. Right. And quite this frankly, person didn't even take Tylenol at home. Right. And, and quite frankly, I grimace when I have a bad dream. So right. I mean, how can, how can that be a, 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 you know, a reason to give one of the strongest, uh, 50 times more powerful than morphine. Right. Every Why hour. Right. Why would they jump all the way to fentanyl? See, that, that's what we're trying to say. And, and just because the doctor told us, oh, well, we're not giving us anything. And they had trouble getting in and checking that. Um, that's when she found it is when she was able to get on her online patient portal and see that they were actually giving fentanyl to him. So it's very important to get onto that the first day that you're on there. Um, and don't back down. I, I want to see everything and your advocate too. your advocate needs to see everything it is very very important and people kind of brush it off and say well the doctor told me we're yeah, in a the different boss. world yes we're no, in a different stop world. doing that they're mm -hmm. not the boss you're no. the boss you're in the driver's seat you get yes. to decide where the car goes this is this is not the same hospitals that you that you know, um, which, uh, you know, I'm going to go over a few of here. You can leave against medical advice. Uh, you can ask for the doctor's success rate. You can fire your doctor. But what's most important is you need to be assertive. Do not be pushed around or manipulated. This is your life. If you say, well, I don't want to offend anybody. Well, don't worry. If you're dead, you won't offend anyone. OK, but I, I'm going to tell you this. If you ever. Uh, need to speak up. It's now to save your life because you won't be able to speak up later. So this is very important. Don't worry about offending somebody's ego um, because if, if they don't value your life, who will? You, you value your life. 
So stand up for yourself and be brave and, and, and be and, assertive. And I know exactly. Greta's right. And this is very is a very stressful situation when you go to the when you go to the emergency room or the hospital for any reason. Really, we understand it's very emotional. Um, that's why the hotline, ex the helpline exists, mm -hmm. so that we can. We are not in the hospital, but we've gone through a lot of rescue uh, missions. Frankly, uh, from coast to coast, we've helped assist get uh, rescue people out of a hospital. So call us if, if at any point. If you're, if you're thinking of going to the hospital, bother me. I've heard people that have helped say, I don't want to bother you. Bother me, please bother us. We yeah. are here to help. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you no bother. The mm -hmm. and the next slide brings up uh, the, the ethics committee meeting and um, or consult, which um, people don't know a lot about that. It's basically when you're not getting that communication, when you're getting the runaround, when the physician's not giving you the information that you want. Okay, well, we need to have an ethics committee consult to, to discuss this, to get more eyes on the situation um, and, and to, to have everything laid out. What is our plan of treatment? Transparency. Yes. It's, it's for failure to communicate properly. Mm -hmm. The doctor's not communicating. Um, your wishes feel like they're, they're being disregarded. Um, you're being talked down to for any of those reasons and more, you can ask for an ethics committee consult. And at that point, I really encourage you to, yes. to reach out to somebody who's actually been in those meetings um, and talk to the doctors on behalf of the, the family. So right. we can coach you up. You need to be prepared. Mm -hmm. So that it's not yeah. just a wish list. It's, um, right. it's not where you go in there and demand you know, I demand you do it's, it's, it's a, a very nuanced thing. And I would recommend that you reach out to the hotline if that's yes. something that you're wanting to do. And so that we can, we can partner with you and walk you through it successfully because right. we want you to have a successful outcome. Right. And, and I've heard different stories where people said, well, I've called an ethics committee meeting and it did nothing. We went in there and we told them what they wanted and they just said no. And we left. Well, it's not, that's, it's not mm -hmm. a wish list. It's not a, you know, this, it, it's nothing like that. And that's where people are confused about what it is. Um, it, it's a communication uh, process. It's a back and forth. It's an understanding what's going on. It's getting informed consent over and over again about every single medication. It's about knowing the plan. It's about uh, having that plan laid out. Um, and, and it, and it takes um, a certain um, type of tactic uh, to, to communicate with these doctors because they do dismiss um, people just, you know, well, are you the doctor? You know, uh, do you have a medical degree? Well, it doesn't matter. Um, it's it's a shared decision-making process. Mm -hmm. The informed consent part of the relationship is having a shared decision-making on behalf of the patient, whether you're the patient or you're advocating for the patient, that is uh, sacrosanct to the patient doctor relationship. It's your right. Use it. Assert it. So exactly. if you want to call an ethics committee meeting, how long does it take? Well, There's the a process and it's on the website. It's kind of, uh, it's, it would take a little time to go through, but there's a process. No, I don't mean that, the, the process, just what you said, I want to have an ethics committee meeting. Mm -hmm. There's Is documentation. 24 hours. Yes. You can within 24 yep. hours. Uh, you can you can request it within 24 hours that quickly because it only takes a quorum. A quorum means the minimum amount of people 
present at that meeting, talk their language. We know that we have a hospital insider that helps us and, and they know the language that really moves the needle in the direction that the patient wants, which is life really is to leave alive. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I don't know if, if you wanted to go over those forms real quick. The, um, the, uh, as, uh, I think it was the doctor's directives. Um, you want to pull those up just so people have an certainly, idea. You certainly show one of them so that mm -hmm. people have an idea of what you're talking about. Yeah. And these forms are, are on the website. Uh, you can get, uh, you can go to protocolkills.com forward slash get dash help. You can also go to ourpatientrights.com and it goes to this page and, um, those are, are the instructions, but if you scroll up a little bit, it you can see exactly what um, what you'll need to, to fill out as far as the the forms, and and it tells the doctor certain directives that you know I don't want um, you know a, a COVID vax. I want to be informed of every uh, medication before you give it to me, the risks, the benefits, the reasonable alternatives. Um, if you can scroll up just a little bit more, you can see that, and. Um, and we have form that's autofill because uh, for this particular form, you want to have your name and your date of birth on each specific request. So they don't get it confused, you know. Um, but if you go and fill this out, it has an autofill. So it'll put your name, date of birth in every spot. And it tells what, I, what I'm requesting, all life-saving measures, um, which uh, reinforces that uh, do not resuscitate, which is at the bottom. I do not consent to a, uh, do not resuscitate. And, um, and all of, you, you can just go through here and initial what you agree to and what's okay, you know. Um, but I think most people would probably initial all of these. Um, but th those are good documents to have. You can you get them done but while you're healthy um, and get them notarized and have your medical power of attorney picked out. Um, even though you're, you're alive and well and, and healthy to make your decisions, you never know what may happen, you know. Everybody should have it as if, and it's as important as if your life depended on it. Yes. It does depend it does. on it. Get <laughs> these forms completed, please. Download them and complete them. Have them in your glove, a copy in the glove, glove box of your car. Have them uh, somewhere on your refrigerator with a magnet. Have them filled out, notarized, completed, dated, and somewhere you can quickly access them. And yeah. All of these will be in the, all the forms that, that you need are going to be in the show notes also. Yes. So, yeah. And, and we encourage everybody to get those done now for everyone in the family and pass it on to friends. You know, uh, you just don't know what's going to come up. And at some point we're all going to be in a hospital. That's the truth. Um, That's right. you know, at one point or another, whether it's the, the end of our life or, or not, um, hopefully we make it there if it's the end of our life. But, um, yeah, we, we all need these these documents. So um, I don't know if you wanted to go ahead and and uh, um, play a clip of uh, exactly what uh, the hospital hostage hotline does and the coaching it provides. Um, but here's you know we have a live clip of, of what um, what actually uh, the things that Laura helps out with and and helps the patient understand and the advocate yeah, understand. I think that's a good idea, Don. That's the that's the audio clip that that I sent you and then we'll play one more clip to get your opinion at the, at the end, a real short one. What, what is, what are they providing for your dad uh, that is tethering him there? That, I, I mean, at this point, you literally I, yeah. could discharge him. I mean, this, I mean, I'm thinking through all the scenarios. Mm -hmm. uh, did you know, this is what people don't know that they can discharge. You, you just leave against medical advice. It's like, Hey, we're leaving. 
this is what we want to do. We go home, and you know what? We changed our mind. We bring him right back the same day. Not like he's tethered to a ventilator or anything that's keeping him from being moved, right? Just the oxygen. Okay. Not notarized is even better than nothing. Like at this point, Mm -hmm. just having it in writing, dated and signed. I mean, I've, I've dealt with people who literally grabbed like the back of a nurse's prescription pad, flipped it over, wrote, I do not want uh, remdesivir, signed, dated it, and handed it, took a picture of it with their phone. I mean, it's, it's got to get to the point where nothing, something's better than nothing at this right. point. And now it's, it's a weekend without anything in writing because they don't want anything to get in the way of doing their protocol. Um, and so what you do is you negotiate, you can stop antibiotics and say, I, I want a different one or give me some reasonable alternatives if you need some. Sometimes they just, they just throw everything, the kitchen sink at the guy. Mm-hmm. Not, there's not any guarantee that the other hospital is going to be any better or any worse than the hospital you just left. It's, but you already know what you're getting at this hospital and now you'll have the butesonide, right? It's better to make the argument that this is just what she wants. This is what she wants, and it's a patient right issue. And that's that's what um, I always will encourage people to stand on. I have a fundamental patient right. You guys could print out, as a matter of fact, if I asked you to the patient bill of rights, and you know, your your request for informed consent is a tantamount to the patient doctor relationship <clears throat> it's fundamental okay. i have a consent I, I have not consented to that half milligram dose i said and I, I had your approval that it would be one milligram that's what we consented on that's what we agreed anyway it's just you go, go back to patient rights patient rights patient rights i can't drill that into people enough and then you can change your mind and say, I changed my mind later today. I, mm-hmm. I withdraw that consent. Mm-hmm. So nothing is set in stone. Listen, if they were worried about lawsuits now, then they'd be doing the right thing. But they know that that just buys them more time. Mm-hmm. There's no money. In, first of all, they know a lawyer won't take the case anyway. It's because there's no money in it for the lawyers. These hospitals across the country are protected against any kind of uh, COVID-related uh, malpractice, death, whatever. Say the worst situation is death, and there's no uh, legal justice for that right now because they have such pr- incredible shielding and protections if it's mm-hmm. called COVID. That's why they want to get that, that test, and that's why they're so ad- adamant about not having your dad get retested mm-hmm. for COVID because – then after the fact, if there, there's something that goes south after he's tested, not COVID, no COVID diagnosis here, it kind of changes things. Now you've you've done something without the shield of COVID. Yeah, so you know that that really tells the story. I mean, the hospitals have uh, they've really had legal immunity even before COVID because. They've gotten into all the state statutes. Uh, the medical malpractice claims all have limits. Well, in most states, they have limits. So attorneys don't want to take the cases even before COVID. Now they have PrEP Act protection. 
Um, yeah, I never would have thought it would come to this. You, know, you always think that a human life is the most valuable thing, but uh, these doctors have sold their soul in the form of their license to the state and now the state dictates the protocols in exchange for extreme amount of bonus payments. And, um, you know, this is where we're at, folks. You know, what these two ladies are doing is trying to save your life. And, you know, this is, this is sick stuff. Uh, you know, I lost my daughter, Grace, because of, of believing that the white coat follows the Hippocratic Oath. And, you know, it is not happening. There's this is a is a big agenda so i um uh, i do want don for you to play the the little short clip because i would like both greta and laura's comment on uh, this is something i just learned last week so we know that the hospitals are getting bonus payments but this new information i learned last week and i want you to get to get your comments on because this is the hospital's perspective obviously it's money driven so they have to get the COVID test so don just play the the short clip and then we'll close with greta and laura's perspective now the thing is the american hospitals receive this money in advance based on the COVID predictions based on the flawed models of people like burks if the hospitals didn't actually meet those models they had to pay that money back at a later stage and we're talking millions of dollars here. So, what happened? Everybody who was admitted to a hospital, for instance, because of a car accident, or because of cancer, or diabetes, or kidney failure, everybody got a PCR test to start with. Due to the ridiculous amount of cycles, there was an abundance of false positives. <coughs> false positives equals positives equals COVID patients equals money. Hence the sudden rise in COVID patients. So this new information is they're paid, they were paid this money in advance to boot. So just think that through. Are they ever going to give the money back? You know, that's not going to happen. I mean, that is not, that is not human nature. Uh, they're going to figure out a way to get the money. Um, mm -hmm. So if you want to, I'd like each of your comments on that video and then anything else that we didn't cover that you want to, to cover in our last few minutes. Well, they're creating the crisis. Um, that's exactly what they're doing in order to look like um, they're solving a problem. Um, the, I've always said that nobody's really dying of COVID. I mean, it's what, 0.01% um, that could possibly die. It's because of denial of safe and effective treatments and the protocols, um, either or or both. Um, but COVID is something that can be treated and has been treated successfully by many doctors. Um, but what they're doing here is strictly driven by profit. And obviously they don't care about your, your life. So that's why I say if, if you ever feel like you're offending somebody, don't, um, because your, your life depends on this. Um, do you want to die over offending somebody? I don't. I, I'm going to go down swinging. I don't care who I defend or offend, um, but I'm going to defend myself. Um, and, and also, I wanted to bring one more point is that um, when people are going through the situation, when they somehow get trapped and, and, and tricked into the hospital uh, start of the protocol and you're, you're able to get a hold of uh, somebody, please, the sooner you can call, uh, call 
because they throw so much at you and it is so emotionally overwhelming that, that you cannot think clearly. And it's hard for a person in the middle of a situation. um, You know, when you're in the current getting pulled down, it's hard to remember, Oh, I need to swim parallel to the shore and, and save my, all you're thinking about is I just need to get out. And you're just, you know, making the situation worse because you're not that fear sets in. And that fear does not allow you to make um, sound decisions and, and, and it just compounds the whole situation. So we really, if you are in that situation, please call the hotline. Um, It it doesn't cost anything. You're not going to lose anything. Um, If you decide, oh, well, I I don't, I don't, you know, want to talk to them. Well then, you know, that's fine too, but you're not going to lose anything just by calling and getting a little bit of advice. Um, So I encourage people to do that. Yeah. I also want to say that, um, you need to understand who can change the the care plan for your loved one or yourself. It's not the nurse. It's not the case manager. It's not the advocate. It's not the customer service person. It's only the doctor. Okay. And the doctor is motivated by his paycheck and his good standing and his, his, uh, his privileges at a hospital. He wants to keep all those things. And he thinks he's free and clear because he thinks the patient doesn't drive any of that. Actually, the patient has more power. And I want to empower everybody listening to this. You have the power to fire him and then report him to the state medical board. And you might want to let him know that mm-hmm. because uh, then he's got to defend that accusation with the state medical board. Whether the state medical board will do the right thing and actually have any repercussions is, is another issue. But at least he's got that accusation on his record and it's a big pain in the you know what to have to defend it financially and time wise and reputation wise so you do have that in your pocket he thinks you're of no uh, effect as a patient you really are uh, effective because even if he um, retains his job there by doing what he thinks is going to keep his job he now has to worry about defending his license. And if he doesn't have a license, he can't be a doctor. He can't, if he, if he loses his license, he can't make his million dollar uh, mortgage payment. Uh, he can't pay his payments on his three Mercedes. He, uh-huh. It becomes an issue to him. If they're driven by greed, hit them where it counts. Don't mess, don't waste your time talking to the nurse and trying to get her to, to see your point and uh, trying to coerce her. She's just following orders. Okay. I'm not saying that all nurses um, are pure as the driven snow, but that is their job is to follow the orders of the doctor. So if you want to affect change, you need to go to the doctor side, the, the, the doctor side of the hospital. There's a, a side of the hospital that's nurses and all those people. And then there's a side that the doc, only the doctor's on in the structure of a hospital system. And people don't know that even doctors working in a hospital don't really know how the hospital works mm-hmm. because only through the grace of God that we have a hospital insider to tell us this, we know how to effectively advocate for you. That's right. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I have two things I'm going to say in closing while I do that. You two, I'm going to give you each the last word. So whatever you want to close with, then we'll end the show. So the two things that I want to say number one is I'm going to do this with my um, best Greta impression. Um, You all need to stand up for yourself. So that's number one. Number two is way more. Well, that's serious, but number two is even more serious. The how we got into this trouble is we, we did not, 
keep our eye on our Lord. And that's why we are in this, this mess that we're in. And that includes myself. Yeah, I was uh, enjoying my selfish life, even though I was a Christian, I, I, I was not in this fight. I was not awake and I'm awake now. And these two ladies I've got to know, they believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful to have met them. They are real. They can really help. And I hope you uh, take what they said today seriously and look forward to, to part two. So go ahead. You have the last word, both of you. Well, I just wanted to say that, yeah, I completely understand that. I think we've all uh, gone through that. We are supposed to be in this world, not of this world. And unfortunately, the, the temptations and comforts around us are, are just so easy to fall into. Um, but when, once God gives you that awakening, um, like he did me, uh, please um, heed to that. Hopefully you can hear our experiences and our words and not have to experience it yourself because it's, it's not a fun thing to go through. Um, but he will get to you one way or the other. <laughs> um, and um, just remember that he, he warned us. He told us, my people perish for lack of knowledge. So we need to stay on top of everything, our health, our government, our education system, everything. We need to be involved in it and we need to have God in it too. Um, because without that, we, we're not going to survive. We're not going to be successful. So um, I encourage people to uh, become knowledgeable and, um, and, and learn as much as you can and, um, and open the word daily too. I just want to say that it's a privilege Every day that's reached out to me, it's been a privilege to encourage them, to empower them, to walk them, hold their hand through things. Uh, I'm happy to say that we've been able to hold away till they got home in a, in a lot of the instances to pray with them, to pray with them before I even get to know them. That's, that's one of my, the strongest we, uh, weapon in my arsenal is to pray with them and to ask God to, intervene on the behalf and I could use the prayers too. It's not easy what we do. And I'm, I'm so grateful for people like Greta that, that have, uh, Oh, you guys don't know how much work this woman does for, for everyone. Um, I couldn't do it without Greta and I'm just so grateful, but I do ask for your prayers so that we can be effective and, and um, we have the, the right strategies and the right words. And we get on the, on the phone with the, with the doctor, uh, with family advocating or with the, the family. So just your constant prayers. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you both. Further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.